I don't think about it that much. I realize that had my attempt been successful, I wouldn't have seen another hummingbird. I wouldn't have laughed with my cousins again. But not every day feels like a gift. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. We certainly don't talk about it enough. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, are not very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. A ginormous thank you to all the attempt survivors who have joined me here on the podcast since we first launched back in July of 2020. Thank you, thank you, and to everybody who listens. I really appreciate it. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com, on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted, and check the show notes for other ways you can reach out to us, ways you can learn more about the podcast or get involved, including our membership. And a quick way to support us, rate and review Suicide Noted on the Apple Podcast platform. It helps people find it, and of course, that is what we want. Remember, these conversations are mostly to help more people in more places feel a little less shitty and a little less alone. Finally, we are talking about suicide on this podcast. We don't hold back. So please take that into account before you listen or as you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. Today, I am talking with Charlotte. Charlotte lives in Maine and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hi, Charlotte. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. No, actually, no, I'm great. How about you? I'm doing great. Let's do. Let's talk about how great we are today. Today, we're talking about suicide, but we're not going to really get into it because no one wants to hear that shit. We're just going to talk about how great everything is and how great we are. The country is wonderful. The planet is doing really well. Truth. Now, we're both in North Carolina, and your name is Charlotte, though we're not in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're in the Triangle. I am in North Carolina, but by the time that this is published, I will be in Maine. I'm moving there in three weeks. Yeah, it won't be out before then. You're right. Meanwhile, we just had like a 10-minute conversation, call it that, about how we know each other, how we were connected, and then I wasn't recording. I wasn't recording. So let's do Can we just give like a brief summary of what we just said about our connection through Sharon Eisner, and then we'll segue into the S word. I was speaking to Sharon maybe about a week ago. She was very kindly listening to my woes, which she is so wonderful at. And I think it came from practice and just her personality. So she was listening to me saying, everything is horrible. My life is falling apart, blah, blah, blah. And Mm -hmm. she said, have you heard of this podcast? I think you would really like it. And I said, oh, my God, I love that podcast. Just to be clear, we're not talking about Joe Rogan, right? No, she said, have you heard of this podcast called Suicide Noted? I know the guy who makes it. And I said, you know him? It's so funny. It was very exciting for me. (laughs) Okay, yeah. But you knew I was in Chapel Hill, or did you? Oh, I had no idea. I say it sometimes. I say it sometimes. So you didn't know that I was local? No, not at all. Total coincidence. That's so weird. All right. Well, I'm glad that you listened if, if it brought you some modicum of positiveness or not wanting to necessarily end your life unless that's something you want to do. No, my uh, my attempt was long before 
the podcast was a thing. But it has it has brought me more than a modicum of comfort. You know, sometimes one of your um, guests will say something, and I feel like it's something that I have thought but haven't put been able to put words to, and it's, it's awesome. a wonderful feeling. I uh, I struggle with that too sometimes. And you hear it, you're like, okay. Now earlier, when I forgot to record, we were talking about being a minority, a woman, being Jewish, among other things. But you added something else: being neurodivergent. I feel like that's my at least right now in my life, that's my most important minority, my most impactful minority. And I think it is in some ways my most visible one as well. So what is the neurodivergence that you think is most noticeable? What do you mean? I have, you know, the standard depression, ADHD, anxiety. Part of it is that I I feel like an alien in the company of other people. Anyone who knows me better than an acquaintance knows that I struggle with mental illness. I, you know, I could squash it down and say, I'm fine, thank you, if somebody asks. But I find that pretending makes me really uncomfortable internally. It's more uncomfortable for me to pretend and to squash it down than it is for people to know about it. So I, I can't or won't or don't pretend. And so, of course, it's visible because I don't try to hide it. Also, my face is really expressive. And I don't think that I could hide that if I tried to. Externally, like I have sensory differences and mm. I make a lot of noise and I am very clumsy, which I only found out recently was typical for people who have PTSD. I didn't know that. I thought I was just, you know, like a clumsy goof. And I am. And that's not a bad thing. But for all of my life, I have felt different. And I am. And that's not bad, but it's really hard. Mm, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Uh, I'm shocked at what I'm about to say, but I think we already found the title of your memoir. <laughs> I, we might have already found it, which is Clumsy Goof. Clumsy Goof. How is it not that? Does that feel too negative? No, it's not negative. I'm trying to build my my self-love muscle, which has been underutilized. So it's not a bad thing to be different. And I I think a lot of the ways that I am different have helped me. Mm. I know I'm, I have a wonderful sense of humor and people think I'm funny. And I think I'm funny. I'm laughing just because of that comment. But you have made me laugh already. And I don't laugh easily at other people's shit. Oh, well, thank you very much. Yeah, but, most people are not funny, especially the people that think they're funny, but go on. Well, maybe I shouldn't have said that then. You know, I am quirky. I'm charming. I have a winning personality. This is like me trying to say the opposite of all of the things that I am used to telling myself. People can tell that there is something wrong with me, but that is not helpful. Well, I mean, I think you know that when you said it is not bad, it's hard. Yeah. I think it takes a long time for people... And I know this because I'm at least a few years older than you, where it's like to really see uh, that these things are actually quite, sort of like, not like gifts or superpowers, because that kind of makes my eye roll, my eyes roll a little bit like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Like my whole fucking depression is a goddamn gift. How about you get the fuck away from me? How's that? But that maybe you are that way. One is that way. And it might not be completely and so shittily. I made that an adverb random and accidental that it may be something that's serving you for some greater thing maybe maybe i would i would rather have not felt the despair that i have sometimes felt but i'm really happy that i'm not boring i love this that we're doing this thing where you're taking all the things that you're not loving about yourself and you're flipping them in the moment it's taken a lot of work 
It is not effortless. There are, there are other things that I try to believe and tell myself, but I'm also thinking like, I don't believe that. Give me an example. Lovability. I recently started doing EMDR, so like hardcore trauma therapy. Mm. And the thing that we are working towards is I am lovable. And you're tapping in order to get that, is that part of it? Is it yeah, you- tapping on my alternately on shoulders. I know I'm interesting. I know I'm funny. I know I'm a good listener and a good friend, but I don't feel lovable. It's a big one. Yeah, it is. I hope that helps, the EMDR. Thank you. Do you, you said you have PTSD. I'm always sort of wary about diagnoses or labels, but what can you share about that and or other diagnoses? What are the other labels people have ascribed to you? Major depressive disorder for 10 years. Social anxiety, which is not really a diagnosis, but like a, you know, some kind of a label, probably 10 years as well. In Mm -hmm. the past six months, I've gotten diagnoses of generalized anxiety disorder, ADHD, combined type, complex PTSD. That one surprised me. I didn't know that I had been traumatized of all the, the very hard work that I've been doing over the past handful of months. Like now I understand, but before that I had no idea. And then I have a handful of endocrine disorders just to add a little Open spice. Add a little spice and sizzle to the mix. Sure. What was going on that you reached out to Sharon in particular? Because that's part of this conversation. You're, you use the word woes, maybe, yes. maybe, maybe slightly sardonically. I don't know, but what, what are the woes that you're referring to? I started a a new job in some ways, my first like quote unquote big girl job about a year ago. It was a massive corporation. This new job was making me miserable. Yeah. It was like looking, I was monitoring three screens and typing on the computer and doing Excel shit while talking to the CEO of a company that you have heard of. You know, like I would take a call and then I would, I would sob and then I would take another call and then I would sob. And when I had to go into the office, forget about it. All of the people, like all of the ancillary noise, the bullpen, the fluorescent lights. I told my manager who had very, very clearly never spoken to anyone in his life with a, any kind of mental complaint. If you make me come in, I will make mistakes and I will have a panic attack. Right. Well, it's the policy. Then I came in and I made mistakes and I had panic attacks. That job was evil and it was not a good fit for me. And every other job and every other school program that I've been in, and they've been very different from each other, they have also not been a good fit for me. And I feel like they've all kind of eroded my sanity after a while. So I don't know what a good fit does look like. And I'm kind of anxious that there isn't one. My mental health was declining. You know, it's like a roller coaster. It goes up and down. I was socially isolated. Um, I was living alone. I started on a new medication, which never gets easier. I've been switching my medications around for 10 years and it never gets easier. And this one in particular, which was Pristique, just sent me into a wave of intense constant suicidal ideation on top of everything that was already going wrong. Then it was tax season. It was like tax season in my job. It wasn't like personally, I couldn't do it for myself. I can, I did. And that was this year. That was like 2023. Yes, it was 2023. And so I, I, I hit a breaking point. I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And 
halfway through Monday, I, I said, I'm, I cannot, I am too miserable. A week after that, I was in a partial hospitalization program. So 30 hours a week of group therapy and it helped and it didn't help and it helped a little and it didn't help a little. And to be clear, this was like, I went there during the day and then I went home at night. Okay. I have a question about awareness. How do you know your mental health is declining? Not just, hmm, this is the third straight day where I feel, how do you know? Because I think that's very hard. It's easy maybe for a spouse who lives with you to see it, but how do you see it? I have several litmus tests for myself when I, I know that things are going bad. If I stop making my bed in the morning, that's bad. If I bite my nails a lot, that's bad. If I feel like it's too much effort to brush my teeth, that's very bad. So they add up and you're sort of like, okay. The thing of it is like when I'm already there, I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want to reach out to anybody. So then it just gets worse. In this case, you you reached out to at least one person that we both happen to know, which is interesting. I reached out to Sharon a week ago. When I reached out to her a week ago, I've been doing fine for a few weeks. Got it. You said 10 years ago, a lot of shit seemed to happen. How old are you? Are you in your mid-20s, early 20s? I'm 26. Teenage years, something's going down. And before I, we get into that, when was the actual attempt? How old were you? I was 19, seven and a half years ago. Yeah. I'd love to learn a little bit about your growing up years, teenage years. I don't know. I think I was kind of a morose child. The parenting I had was not incredibly empathetic. I think I had a lot of big feelings that I didn't know what to do with, and I didn't get help to know what to do with them. When I was 16, in my like junior year of high school, I became severely clinically depressed. I slept 16 hours a day. I lost all of my friends. It was a terrible time. I think I was mostly ignored, which was probably preferable to the alternative. There were a few people who were really kind to me. Jack is one of the only people that I keep up with um, intermittently from high school, and he was really, he was just a good friend. And then what I really wanted to say was that Mr. Blackwell would let me come harass him in his room during the lunch period, and he was always really happy to see me. He was my teacher in maybe sophomore year and then, or maybe like freshman year and then again in junior year. And I think that he probably could see that there had been some kind of a a difference in between those times. And I'm only realizing now how much it meant to me that he was happy to see me and he would let me come talk to him. I'm only realizing now how much that meant to me and how how really kind that was of him. Sometimes I think about it and like, I'm not, I'm not sure how I graduated from high school, let alone with the GPA that I did, which was high. I don't know how I did that, but I did. 16 clinically depressed. Is there a why behind that? Or is it just, that's what, what, what it was? I don't know. Just the cosmos, the chemicals, nothing happened. But you managed. This is where we get into the slightly overused word of resilience. I have a lot to say about that. Like I promise people, anyone who's listening, that the resilience it takes to go from how you were feeling to do pretty well at school would match a lot of people's, uh, you know, training for a marathon type thing or the things we tend to celebrate. I like that. It's not celebrated, but I like that very much. I don't know, not the opposite of celebrated, but it's like everybody else is dealing with shit. It's hard. Like that's the, the energy of it. You don't really get a massive pat on the back usually for just getting through the day when you're that in that space. It's fucking weird to me. Come on. So you're, you get, you go to college, right? Yeah. 
I was really trying to run away from my life, but I've since come to understand that I, wherever I go, I have to bring my head with me, which often I wish I could just like set it in a corner and have a break for an hour. I went to college. I went to New York City. I was at the new school, lived in Manhattan, and then I lived in Brooklyn later. And at this point, like I knew about the depression. I knew about the anxiety. I did not know about my sensory needs. I did not know about being overstimulated and like talk about noise and smells. I was pretty unhappy in my freshman year. And then in my sophomore year, that's when I like really, it is so easy to find a way to kill yourself in a city. There are a lot of tall buildings. I took the subway 14 times a week. Every, Every time I would close my eyes and feel the wind from the train rush toward me and want the courage to jump. This was not my first time thinking about suicide. When I was 16 in high school, I would sit in the back of the classroom and I would think about it constantly. When you say think about it, the act, the method? Mostly it was exhaustion of constant suffering and the want to be done. How were you presenting, do you think? Because I know you're smart, you're getting good grades. Like, Would any teachers or other people in your life be like, hey, Charlotte, you know... Yeah. So, I mean, as I said, I lost all my friends. Part of that was manufactured by a girl who had been my best friend, made it known that I was persona non grata. Yeah, it was not wonderful. Um, she works in mental health now. So this was really the the first time that I can remember feeling like my peers know that something is wrong with me. You know, I kind of like s- slipped through unnoticed until I started crying in the middle of French class. And my teacher requested a meeting for me with my counselor. And high school counselors, like, you know, bless their hearts, but they're kind of useless. Ooh, if there's any counselors, this Charlotte is going on the record. (laughs) But so I, I had a meeting with them and he asked me, when's the last time you thought about Maybe he said hurting yourself, which I think is a stupid thing to say. Like the the whole point of it is that I do not want to be hurting anymore. Oh, it's an interesting choice of words. Right. For sure. I mean, maybe he said, when's the last, when's the last time you thought about it? And I said, third period. Then like, I don't know, like all of the other counselors came in and I think you should really go home. You're not feeling well. And I said, but I have a quiz in French later. And one of them said, well, you can't do a quiz when you're feeling like this. And I didn't say this, but I wish I had said, like, motherfucker, I took three tests yesterday. Fucking always feel this way, dipshit. Yeah. You can't call counselors dipshits, though. You get in trouble for that. I mean, I would have. Sorry, counselors. I know you're trying. That was my first time thinking about suicide. That was when I was 16. When I was 19, it got really bad. And I told my parents, like, I need to come home. Like, I know I've gone like three weeks from the end of a semester. I know it's been expensive, but I cannot do it anymore. Question. You're standing on the subway. You're kind of close to the tracks. I always put my back up against one of those pillars because I didn't trust people that wouldn't push me. I know that's a little over the top, but it does happen from time to time. You're not doing shit like that. And as the wind comes by from the subway and you said you were thinking, but you didn't finish the thought, are you thinking... Can I just one day just fucking jump in front of the damn thing? Yeah. And I I couldn't. And I saw that as cowardice. 
Right. Let's just stack it on as strong as we can. And yeah. So you do you go home? Yeah, I packed up all my stuff, took a plane home. It was it was like early December, maybe. That was the first time I dropped out of college. I felt like a failure. I felt terrible. There were fewer ways to you know, like there are no there aren't any subways, so I didn't have a subway to jump in front of. Are you saying that there are fewer ways to kill yourself in North Carolina than New York City? That's what I thought, but I proved myself wrong very quickly. Got it. So yeah. you are you are home. You are still, let's use the word, suicidal. Yeah. 19 years old. And of course, we know where this is going. Yeah. My attempt was, I was like, I had been in that mindset for a long time. And at the same time, my attempt, like I didn't wake up in the morning thinking like, this is the day I do it. It was kind of spur of the moment kind of thing. It was in the evening, mid-February. I didn't think like, okay, this is happening right now. I, I was like eight, eight, nine weeks after I was going to jump in front of a subway. My mother, in in response to some fight, some argument that I don't remember because I was so out of my mind at this point, she said to me, I don't know how you can live in the world. What does that mean? I think she meant it. I don't know how you're like, able to, given how you are, that you can navigate this world the way it is. No, no, more it, like accusatory. Wow. Your behavior is such that I don't know how you can be in society. What were you doing? I don't like talking about this. We, My mother and I had a physical fight. There's no excuse for that. I have no memory at all of what inspired that incident. None. And this had not happened that day when she said that to me. It had happened a week before, something like that. And she kicked me out of the house. And then my dad said, you should come back. And I had been back for a couple of days. And she said what she said to me. And I thought, neither can I. I can't see how I can live in the world either. I thought, you know what? You're right. Share what you want about that day. Go as detailed as you choose to. Yeah. She said what she said to me. I thought, neither can I. Mm. know how I can live in the world. Mm-hmm. And I looked in the medicine cabinet and I found a full unopened box of NyQuil, swallowed every pill. And for good measure, I swallowed every psychiatric medication that I had with me, which like those, you can't, you can't overdose on those. I was in my childhood bedroom and I was listening to Odyssey and Oracle by the zombies. I, I thought Radiohead. <laughs> no. Not as cool as the zombies. Okay. No, it's a great album. And I still listen to it. And it reminds me of that night, but not necessarily in a bad way. I did not intend to wake up. This was not a cry for help. I know we're not doing this in Spanish, but adios. Yeah. No mas. Okay. My mom told me that I was like banging around making noise. Like I had drunk a lot of water. So I guess I needed to pee. She asked me, did you do something? And I, I have no memory of any of this. Yeah. But I said, yes. And she, she made me throw up in the morning. She took me to the hospital. I don't know if I had my stomach pumped. I don't know. I think probably it would have made sense. Yes. I would imagine that's not my area of expertise. I don't have one, by the way. I'm not a parent. I am wondering if I saw my child, I can only imagine or speculate. I don't wait to the morning. Yeah. I go now. I know. Interesting choice. Yeah. But you made it to the hospital. I remember not being able to tie the 
hospital gown. Mm-hmm. I, my fingers were not working. I remember a doctor, he seemed kind of mad. My parents were with me and they wow. had gone somewhere, I don't know. And a doctor came in and he said, like, you would have died if your mother had not made you throw up. And I was like, like, okay, like, I don't know. I spent like the day in the emergency room. Mm-hmm. And then I spent the night in what we came to find out was a locked ward. Hmm. Distinctly, I remember that the food in, in that hospital is fantastic. Food. That's how they get you. And by the way, each like French fry was probably like $80. Correct. So yeah, it better be fucking good when it, you're charging that kind of money. Yeah, but then I've I've been at Duke Hospital as well, not as a patient, but as like a guinea pig in medical trials for money, which I think is just really interesting. I like to see the scientific process. Their food is horrible. My stay was at the UNC Psych Center. They can suck my you-know-what as well. Yeah, that's where that's mine cool. was as well. It's fun that we went to the same place. And I'm not encouraging people not to go to the damn hospital, but we've got to have honest conversations about the problems because that is just making some of the shit worse. Yeah. I was in the psych ward for a week when I was in it and also immediately after. And also now I refer to it as the clink. Ooh. I was in the clink. How is that not your memoir name? All right. Now we have two. We actually have three and one of them might be the subtitle. We have clumsy goof. We have the clink and we have not bad, just hard. They're all pretty good. Those are all very, very good. We might be able to work two or even three of those into title slash subtitle. I was in the clink for a week. It was, I think, mostly very not helpful. It's a teaching hospital. So at one point, I was sitting in a chair in the middle of a big square room lined with 50 medical students and one one psychiatrist who was saying, like, you know, how are you doing? And what was I going to say? I still feel like shit. I didn't I wanted to get out of there. Right. I said, yeah, I'm doing, you know, everything's good. I'm great. Everything's great. <laughs> She's not supposed to say that. And now we can't continue this class that we had planned. Yeah. I was released on my 20th birthday. Couldn't go out and get a drink. No, still couldn't. Afterwards, I felt like it was treated as a cry for help rather than the the very genuine attempt that it was. I think I should have gone to a partial hospitalization program then, or even a residential program then. But I was just like released into the wild. Not only is are things not better, they were kind of worse. Yeah, I felt like I I had had no power before, and I felt like I had no power, less power, agency, whatever word is the right word. Maybe people like it when I correct them. They love that shit. Mansplain is also a good one. Love They love that shit, too. Hey, middle-aged white guy, tell me more about the world. Enlighten me, buddy. That's something I'm working on, too. You know, hey, we all got our stuff, right? We're brought up and we got our stuff. Yeah. So you get out, and you said that was your one attempt. So I know from the moment you get out to today, you didn't try to end your life again. No, I haven't. Since in those seven years, I feel better, and then I feel worse, and then I feel better, and then I feel worse. NCCU was undergrad with Ms. Eisner? Yes. Did you finish? No. I dropped, I've dropped out of three different colleges, which really makes me feel super weird and bad. So you had NYU and then NCCU around here. What was the third one? The Midwives College of Utah. Oh my God. How is that not the name of this podcast, number one? <laughs> I don't care if it has nothing to do with suicide. I love that. Midwifery in and of itself is midwifery. That's what I meant. Midwifery is 
Right, because it's not about being a wife, wives, it's midwifery. So you were seeking to continue education so that one of the ways you existed in the world after that would have been to help women give birth. Yeah, that's a that's an interest that I've always had. I was also a nanny for five years. There were things about that job, that profession that I loved. Mostly it was extremely hard. The way I kind of felt about it is that I was like getting paid to like practice being a parent and like get my mistakes out of the way. Now, I don't think that I want to have children. Why is that? Part of it is that I worry I would not be a fit parent. There's something called the the legacy of wounding. I don't want to be the kind of inconsistent and emotionally volatile parent that I had. Also, I know how hard it is and I have enough hard things to do. Also, the planet is dying and I don't think it is ethical. Mm-hmm. All the while, because you said after the attempt, up and down. Always. To this moment, right. You're trying to finish school. You're working other things, life. Do you stay with your folks? Do you move out? I moved out pretty quickly after my attempt. And that, you know, I've lived in Carborough, Chapel Hill, Durham, Raleigh, you know, everywhere in the area. I was working, I was in school, I was doing stuff, I was living and feeling aimless, which I still feel. You think you'll feel aimless in Maine? Mm, I hope not. I've been very deeply unhappy for a very long time. I know that I have to bring my brain with me. But I I am hopeful that it will be the kind of change that I need. In my gut, it feels right. Do you have a relationship with your mom? I do. In the past few months, it's been the most difficult it's ever been. I, I was a mini-me up until two and a half years ago when I, I kind of feel like I, I don't know what it was exactly, but I feel like I kind of woke up. Mini-me meaning like not you. Just like very, very strongly identified with her and, and kind of like idolizing. There are some parts of me that are great, that I love, that came from her. And a lot of my trauma also came from her. I'm wondering after that kind of thing, you talk to somebody who says such things, you just sort of, for lack of a better word, sort of play nice. We don't have to talk about it a lot. You know, like that's a tough one, I would imagine. Yeah, but I was very much still under her thumb. And my my boundaries, I'm very proud to say my boundaries have strengthened over the past months in a way that is good for me. I also know in the post-attempt up until this moment, up and down, at some point, whether you were up or down, you look for the word or put the word suicide in a probably Spotify or Apple. I don't quite remember how I found it. It may have been on a subreddit, like a mental illness or like a depression or whatever. Yeah, I don't remember even what year it was. It might have been 2021. Well, it wasn't before 2020. I know that. It, we don't, it, no one talks about it. I mean, it's not common. That's for sure. And I think the bigger part of it, we don't actually have honest conversations about it. We just tell people about it. That's in my experience. Like, so whether it's a podcast, like people invariably, it goes almost always to, hey, so here's what you do if you're feeling bad, or here are the signs of someone who might be suicidal. And this is just basically the reason why I started the whole fucking podcast. Like, but are we actually just talking about it, like without the other stuff? And it was shocking that there was nothing out there like that. I have to tell you. Yeah, I do know. These are valuable conversations. Just works out that at some point in the last week or two, you reach out to Sharon, and we've, we've, this has come up already, and she recommends that you know about it. 
So was that kind of the difference? Otherwise, what do you think? Would you have reached out or was it maybe not your thing? Every time I've listened to an episode and then at the end you say, like, send me an email, I want to talk to you, I would think I should do that. I don't know whether I would have or not, but I did. So here I am. Here you are. I, I always wonder who, how many people, it's just I'm wondering who's on the fence, for whatever the reasons are. I also wonder how many people are on literal or metaphorical subways like you were or on the platform and just wishing they had that whatever it is to step every day right now. And it's a lot. Statistically probable that you pass them in the street. Definitely. I got some questions that are short answer, right? I'm ready. How many people know that we're talking right now? Three. Sharon knows. My friend Cass knows. My therapist knows, and she thinks it's really cool. Oh, good for her. I need validation too. How many times since you were 19 and a half did you come close to attempting again? That's a difficult question for me to answer. There have been times since then that I have wanted to even more so, but I I did not act on them. I try not to give myself opportunities. Yeah, I, I had a roommate very briefly who had a gun and that was not okay with me. So you're literally the person who's going to just not go on the subway platform now, just to be safe. Yeah, I feel the, not all the time, but during bad times, I feel like I want very so much to be done yeah. and that I'm tired and it, it would be so much easier to not, but I don't, I haven't, I'm yeah. not going to say I, I won't, I can't see the future, but I haven't. I don't think about it that much. It doesn't occur to me that much. I, I realized that had my attempt been successful, I, I wouldn't have seen another hummingbird. I wouldn't have laughed with my cousins again. But not every day feels like a gift. How many people know that you attempted when you were 19? I don't know. More people than I gave permission to know. Really? People found out? They were told. Uh, do you have people in your life that you can have difficult conversations with about your life? I know Sharon may be one of them, given what we've shared. Yeah, I do. I have an aunt, two of my cousins, who are my favorite people in the world, and two friends who I can talk to. Then again, when I'm in the pits, yeah, I, I won't reach out to any one of them. Right. So they're there, but it's not going to happen. I got it. When was the last time you were in that space? Pits. Not the clinks, the pits. For a sustained amount of time, April. But I also have premenstrual dysphoric disorder. So in the week before my cycle, I'm not like pissed off. It's like I want to die every month. Really cool. Sounds cool. Yep. It's awesome. Living the dream for sure. Um, Why are you going to Maine? I'm going to Maine because I need my life to change. I've been feeling like it's not worth living. Why Maine? I have a cousin there. Another cousin will be not a short drive, but a shorter drive away. It's beautiful. It's, you know, nature's glory. There are a lot of places and people in this area um, that I have bad associations with. And I need to escape the heat. I was going to say, you better bring a fucking jacket. but you can. Oh always- my God, I bought a parka. It's a beast. Cheap, secondhand. Good. It weighs like five pounds. 
So you said that you didn't, sometimes you don't want to be alive, which I guess is that's, that's what I call the space between, right? You're not like actively suicidal, but you don't want to be alive. So the question I'm about to ask probably is completely may, may change if I asked you next week or last month and you weren't in that space. Do you ever wish that evening ended differently in your childhood bedroom? I don't think so. It was a very genuine attempt. I did not intend to wake up. I wish that I had not felt that level of despair. And I wish that I had been taken more seriously afterwards. But it's things happen for a reason, I think. Do you? Sometimes. Right now, I think I do. Three weeks from now, you're going to be driving up to Maine in the car that we're talking, the same car. This very one. Be all excited, even though it's going to be warm here, you'll have your parka on because you're like, I'm going to Maine. Mm -hmm. I'll put it on right when I get in the car. A memoir title that, frankly, I'm hoping isn't applicable, but could be, let's be honest, Aimless in Maine. There's a nice alliteration there. Ooh, that is nice. I only have three more questions. One, what, if anything, helped you feel a little less shitty? I saw a shooting star three weeks ago, which was like, how much better can you get? I went on my first couple of ATV rides, just like tearing through the woods. And it was thrilling. It was also the second least safe thing I've ever done in my life after my attempt. I mentioned hummingbirds, just little things like that, little little pieces of wonderment. And then also therapy and medication. Because you've shared you have several diagnoses. So you probably, you need those meds, I would imagine, or some cocktail. I am yeah, on a very sophisticated cocktail. Is that a pain in the ass to change states and all that shit? Because it's not like national health coverage. The states make it fucking wonky. Listen, man, I got ADHD. It's going to be horrible. Maybe it won't be. I have a really good team. I, don't, I do not anticipate a gap in my health care. Do you think you'll make it to 30 years old? You're now 26. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. Do you have any uh, myths that have not come up that you want to call attention to? Myths, misconceptions, that kind of thing. Yeah. And this is, for me, this is a, an internal myth, but I think it's applicable to a lot of people. Not everything that I think about myself is true. And in fact, it probably isn't. And it took me a long time to learn that. And then also, this may be just semantics, and I have mentioned this earlier, but I think, my personal experience, yeah. people who are suicidal do not want to hurt themselves. We do not want to be hurting. We want to stop hurting. That's the point. Yeah, that's so ironic, too. Oh, I have one more myth. My loved ones mm -hmm. or your loved ones will not resent you for coming to them in your time of need. They will love you all the more for it. My loved ones, people whom I feel comfortable talking mm -hmm. to, Mm -hmm. will not resent me for coming to them in my time of need. I wish that were the case for everybody. I just, yeah. I'm glad that that's there for you. So you bought a parka. Anything else? I bought some bean boots. Ooh, all right. All right. So we got bean boots and parkas going up. So uh, what are you doing with the rest of your day? You're going to, we're going to hang up. You're going to start your car probably, or you're going to go to the library and then what? Or what are you going to do? Shut up, Sean. What are you doing? Nothing fun. I'm going to go buy pants. I hate buying pants. Yeah. And then I'm going to go to my storage unit and get more boxes and decide what I'm taking and what I'm leaving. Yeah, I'm trying to free myself from the psychological weight of my material possessions as much as possible. Good, uh, good thing to aim for, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page. I think most of it, you will not miss the moment it's gone. 
There will be a few things though, like certain for me keepsakes. Like someone gave me a mug as a gift. It's, it's a gift. It is a weird sort of connection we have, and we keep hold. Yeah. You know? What are you going to do with the rest of your day? That's a good question. So I have another interview or conversation. I have a three o'clock meeting, a six o'clock meeting, an eight o'clock meeting. I hopefully will get some time to exercise. That's a lot of conversations in one day for me. It just worked out. Mondays are like that, and that's it. There's a whole lot that goes into these conversations, or at least trying to piece together one's life. So, is there other things that you would like to talk about or share that you didn't have a chance to? I wanted to speak with you not only because it's a good service to the world for for people to be able to hear frank conversations about about the subject that doesn't really get talked about a lot, but because it's a good service to me. And our conversation has allowed me to process my experiences in a deeper and a more satisfying way than I have. I don't know if it's inappropriate to say because of the subject matter, um, but I've really enjoyed it. So thank you. You are welcome. Thank you. Well, enjoy your pan shopping. I won't. Okay, good. I appreciate your honesty. It's also very possible, audience that's listening, that me and Charlotte might be like driving around the next few weeks and I might just pass her. It's still so weird that I'm literally like down the block from you. We could have done this in person, except you seem like you might be sick. Right. I have done it a couple of times in person. I think I'm better only online because I'm a little more aware. Like this, this will sound decent in person. You kind of have to know shit. Like I don't know shit. I don't know much. You, you make a good ploy. Perhaps, perhaps. All right, go enjoy your day. I don't hope it, but you're going to hate pan shopping. And then I hope the moment after you're done is slightly better. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. I'll talk to you soon, Cheryl. Thanks again for connecting and talking. Yeah, absolutely. Have a good afternoon. You too. Bye. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. Special thanks to Charlotte now in Maine. Thank you, Charlotte. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Check the show notes for all kinds of other things, ways to get involved and participate, including our membership. And also keep in mind, if you rate and or review this podcast, Suicide Noted, on the Apple platform, uh, more people will find it. Remember, this is primarily about helping more people in more places feel a little less shitty, and a little less alone through these conversations. And that is all for episode number 184. Stay strong, do the best you can. I'll talk to you soon.